I'd like to welcome all the newcomers who identified. There are a lot of you, and I think it's really cool that people are getting sober during the time of Zoom. You know, if you stay here, this will be a great part of your story. You'll get to say you got sober during the great pandemic of 2020. Um, I really hope you, you stay here with us and that you find what I found here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I found, one of the things that I found is the ability to, a way of life that gives me the ability to, to live fairly comfortably in my skin most of the time without having to take a drink to get there. And for me, that's huge because I, I couldn't function without having to drink alcohol. You know, there's a member of my home group who passed. His name was Frank J. And he said one of the gifts that Alcoholics Anonymous gave to him was a quiet head and a calm stomach. And the longer I'm sober, the more that's been become true for me. And I'm so grateful for that because that's not how I was living, you know, before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. And Alcoholics Anonymous is the only thing that I found to treat my alcoholism. And I tried a lot of ways to stop drinking and to stop feeling the way I was feeling. I actually came across, a, I was going through some paperwork today and I came across a little folded paper and it was something I had jotted down when I was probably like towards the end of my drinking, I'm not sure when, but it was just, you know, all of those feelings that we have. I used, I was complaining about my drinking. I was aware that it was a problem for me, but I was so uh, caught up in the feeling. Like I, I actually wrote that I feel like the real me comes out when I'm drinking. I feel smart. I feel creative. I feel intelligent. I feel spiritual. And then I was writing about how terrible it was that things started going downhill though after a few drinks. And I said, I'm not sure how it happens, but I go from being a goddess to godless in about 30 minutes. <laughs> and I'm not sure what I meant back then when I was writing it, but it has a definite meaning for me today. And I, I see how true it was, you know, um, and I, I need a God in my life today. And I'm so grateful that Alcoholics Anonymous and my sponsor has allowed me to develop a relationship with a, with a higher power. You know, when I got here, I was, um, I was really, I was a daily drinker. I was a drinker that um, I, I would drink until I blacked out or I passed out. I'm the person that drives the wrong direction on busy streets. That's me. If you ever wonder who, who does that, I got arrested for that out in Pasadena and I had a passenger in my car, um, you know, and I just, I never felt okay. And I felt like alcohol. I always had this feeling, you know, from being a little kid, I was very um, tightly wound. I was extremely nervous. I was very anxious. I always felt like something was wrong with me and I didn't know what it was. I was just like this kind of like a raw nerve. And I didn't, um, I didn't feel like I understood other people. I didn't feel like they understood me. And I, I didn't, um, I didn't have the words to articulate it, but I was afraid of other kids, you know, and I just, because I was so afraid of them and because I was thinking that they were thinking terrible things about me, I pushed everybody away. And one of the first escapes, you know, I always felt like I had this set separation between me and you. And it was almost like there was this kind of a, like a glass partition and all the world was going on over there and I was here and I just couldn't really get my way, you know, to the other side of that. And uh, one of my first escapes as a little kid was in books, you know, I loved to read and I would carry a book around with me everywhere. And, you know, if, if a little kid is taking a book to school and reading during, you know, uh, our breaks, we call the nutrition then and our lunch break, I would, you know, open my book and I would read and that, you know, and then I would wonder why I had no friends, <laughs> why none of the kids talked to me. And I couldn't see that I was the one removing myself. That's so alcoholic. And I, 
I have seen that pattern, you know, later on when I did my inventories, but I, I was removing myself, sitting aside, away from the other kids, reading a book, and then wondering why nobody invited me to play, you know, handball with them and blaming them for that. You know, they were mean. So um, I had my first drink of alcohol when I was six years old. My dad was not an alcoholic, but he, um, he liked to drink beers. And my parents got separated when I was pretty young and uh, I would go visit him and he would sit in this easy chair and he would like kind of put it back and just put his feet up. And he would say, if you get me a beer, I will, um, if you run to the refrigerator and grab me a beer, I'll give you a sip of it. So of course I would like run to the refrigerator, I would grab a beer, I would bring it back and I would take my sip. And then shortly afterwards, I started bringing a little glass with me because I wanted him to pour me more, you know? <laughs> and uh, that was also a bonding time with my dad. And I really loved that, um, that experience. You know, I wasn't a daily drinker at age six, but I just have those memories. And, um, you know, I'll fast forward, but I was definitely a loner, you know, all through school. I didn't really have a lot of friends, but by the time I was going from like a middle school to high school, and for me, this was from, um, I'm, I'm older. So this was, uh, I was going from like uh, eighth grade to, to ninth grade, which was junior high school. I'm sorry. I was going from sixth grade to seventh grade, which was junior high school. So in the summer of my sixth grade, I was at a, a party that was a high school party. And at this party, I, um, I saw that they had kegs of beer and they had those red like solo cups, you know, so I knew that I liked beer. So I went right up there and I, I grabbed a cup and then I grabbed another cup and by the third cup, something happened to me that makes me realize and understand that I'm an alcoholic. And what happened for me is by that third cup of beer, it felt like somebody had turned the light switch on, you know, like everything just came to life. It was technicolor. I felt alive. I felt like I could be the person I always wanted to be. You know, I remember, I remember the song that was playing when that happened. It was Madonna's Lucky Star. And uh, this was the 80s. And I remember dancing. I'd, I'd never danced. I remember having fun for the very first time in my life. I was not so um, tightly wound. You know, I never allowed myself to have fun because I was too worried about what everybody was thinking about me. And you know, now I know nobody's thinking about me. But then I really believed everybody was thinking about me and nobody liked me, you know. And I could just let, let all of that go. And I could be free and I could have fun. And from that day onward, I was just trying to get alcohol as much as I could. You know, I, I quickly made friends with other girls that liked to drink the way I did. And we would hang outside liquor stores. We would get people to buy wine coolers for us. Strawberry wine coolers were my, my drink of choice at that time. And, you know, I didn't really have trouble getting out my hands on alcohol. Even my own parents would buy it for me sometimes. And uh, if we couldn't get it that way, if there were no parties, we would actually steal alcohol from our friends. We would find out who was going to be out of town that weekend and we would break into their house and steal their alcohol and then laugh about it at school, you know, learning that, <laughs> that they got in trouble about it. So, um, you know, that was kind of the way I was. Um, that's the way my drinking was in the beginning. You know, I think the worst thing that would happen to me, I was starting to have blackouts though pretty early on. And the worst thing that would happen to me at that time was you know, I would, I would kind of come to and I'd have my, my phone open next to, next to my open phone book. And it was that terror, like, oh no, who did I call while I was drunk? Uh, and later I ended up kind of coming to in hotel rooms wondering like, oh no, who I was, who was I with? You know, that was the progression of my drinking. But, you know, I drink, alcohol really worked for me. I loved drinking. I loved the anticipation. I loved all of the things that went along with it. You know, the glassware, the, 
the ice, the, um, the clubs. I was a big clubber. You know, I, I started going to clubs in downtown LA and Hollywood when I was about 15 and I loved it there. It was so glamorous for me. I felt like a grown up. I drank with grown ups. you know, I was supposed to be 21, but I was 15 and I could drink as much as I wanted to. And I, I just loved it. You know, I, I love that feeling of infinite possibility that I had when I was, when I was going out and I quickly, um, made my way to Europe, you know, I kind of like got connected with a fast crowd. And I started at this time, by the time I was 19, I started noticing some issues with alcohol and people started bringing it up to me. And they would say things like, you know, we love having you around, but not when you're drinking, you know, it kind of scares us. So if you want to, you know, come, you can't drink. So I would quickly change friends and I would, I would hang out with another group, you know, because there's no way I was going anywhere without drinking. Um, I wouldn't even go to a restaurant for breakfast if I if they didn't serve alcohol. You know, I I was always made sure that I had alcohol everywhere that I went. Um, and this crowd that I was hanging out with, they drank a little bit harder than I did at the time. You know, and when I started to wonder if maybe I had a problem with alcohol by some of the you know because I was starting to get some consequences. I was losing relationships. I was losing a job that I really cared about. I. Um, I started to have a few consequences. So I wondered like, am I, do I have a problem with alcohol? And I would look at them and they were drinking in the morning. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not drinking in the morning. So I must be, must be fine. You know, <laughs> that was my base of comparison. Uh, I did end up leaving there and coming back and I got my first DUI. And uh, my, there's a progression there. I've had two DUIs. My first one was a 0.20. My second one was a 0.29. So there was a progression and, um, you know, I was mandated to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, from those DUIs. And uh, for the first one, I was in my 20s, and I really did not believe I was an alcoholic. And I, I kept drinking, and I kept going. I went to a couple of meetings, and I realized that I could sign my own court card, so I was out of there, you know, and, and I was just like, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't need this. I thought it was interesting, but I was like, okay, bye. Um, and so I was off and running, you know, and I had a lot of drinking to do and a lot of um, those pitiful, incomprehensible, demoralizing acts that a lot of women go through. You know, I, due to the alcoholism, I, I, um, I, was starting, I was starting to live a life, you know, in this writing that I wrote about, you know, one of the things I was writing about was that I never felt clean. And I was wondering like what it would take to feel clean again, because like no matter what success I have, no matter what I do, I just feel dirty. And, you know, a lot of that had to stem from, from my behavior, from the way I was behaving as a, a woman alcoholic. You know, I was, I was um, pretty much going home with anybody that was on the bar stool next to me, you know, and that was not the way I, I had been taught to live my life. That's not the way I imagined my life going. And, you know, I actually, um, I remember this guy, at a, I started going to dive bars towards the end of my drinking. I remember him coming up to me and saying, you know, I've seen you here before and I see the way you drink and I think you're an alcoholic. And I must've thought that was a really good pickup line because I went home with that guy <laughs> that night, you know, and I, I was just a mess. I was one of those alcoholics that was, um, you know, they started throwing me out of these places that I used to love going to so much and felt like they were my second home. A lot of these bars and clubs were saying that we just don't like your drinking, it scares us. We don't like you falling off the bar stool. And so, you know, I started drinking at home and I, I felt like that was a responsible solution, you know? But the only thing is when you drink at home, when I drink at home, I would, I would drink and then I would end up going out anyway. And a lot of times I didn't know because I was going out in blackouts and I started having a lot of car accidents. 
you know, I was making U-turns on the freeway and hitting the center divider. I remember crashing into my own house. I, um, I just was always having single person accidents. And I remember when I got sober, one of my family members who didn't know I was an alcoholic said, now it makes sense. I just thought you were a really bad driver. <laughs> I had no idea because I was in so many accidents. I was always missing my side view mirror or my front bumper. Um, you know, I would come downstairs and I'd have four flat tires, you know, the typical alcoholic car. And I started to, I had a second DUI and, uh, you know, I felt by this time I was trying to manage my drinking. I had gone to a couple of, um, a couple of treatment centers, you know, most of the time it was through my family wanting, you know, they, they had an intervention, they all gathered together and, and I ended up talking them into an outpatient treatment center. And, you know, I was trying to stop drinking at times. And then other times I was not really, not, not trying to stop drinking, you know, but I would, I would, I, I think towards the end, I kind of surrendered to the fact that I didn't think that it was possible for me to stop drinking. You know, I had tried, I'd been to a treatment like three times. Um, and these are some of the things I tried to stop drinking. I, um, I went to a different therapists, some of them specializing in alcoholism. I went to outpatient treatments. I went to a hypnotist. I tried to hypnotize the alcoholism away. It did not work. Um, you know, and I, I tried other things like throwing away all the bottles. I threw away all my glassware. And then that night, you know, I'd be out there buying the bottles again. And I started drinking just like straight out of the bottle. And I, I, a lot of times I couldn't even wait until I got home. I was drinking in my car. You know, I kept a wine opener in my car and uh, for emergencies. And, you know, I was just living this life that was, it became that groundhog day where it was the same thing over and over again. I was somebody that always showed up to work. I had this little kit, you know, the alcoholic kit, which was uh, for me, like I had Visine, I had a lot of gum. <laughs> I had this like uh, medicine that would keep me from, from having the dry heats because I would get really sick, you know, in the morning. And that, and I had some speed and that would help me like kind of get through the day so I could you know, go and buy my bottles after work. And towards the end of my drinking, I started uh, drinking on the floor because I was getting so many injuries. You know, I was waking up with cuts and bruises and black eyes. And, and so I thought, well, maybe if I just start on the floor, I won't have that far to fall over. You know? <laughs> so my plan was I would just, I, so I'd set all my bottles in front of me and I would just sit on the floor. And my hope was that I could just like drink until I passed out. And, um, you know, that was the way I was living for a long time. And something happened to me where I um, was in one of those blackouts that I was telling you about. And I had had a car accident in downtown LA. And then the next weekend, I was, uh, I came to again. And the car accident was a fender bender. So I still, I got my car back. It was impounded and I got it back. And I was out drinking and driving again. And I came to you that morning and I turned on the television set and I saw that a white SUV had uh, hit and run and killed two people. And I drove a white SUV and I had just been in downtown. So I had that moment of terror where I thought, oh my God, that could be me. I was just down there. And so I remember like running downstairs and checking my my front bumper for blood. And, you know, that time it wasn't me. And I know that there's no difference between me and somebody that's in jail right now or prison except chance. It just didn't happen to be my, my turn that time. Um, and I'm so grateful that I made it to Alcoholics Anonymous. But that was one of my wake up calls. And then one more time, something happened where I, I came to again and I was in this hotel room and I, I didn't know where I was. I was somewhere like, like way east of downtown LA and I, I was alone and I, I remember walking into the restroom and, and I looked at myself in the mirror and I, I didn't recognize myself. I felt like I looked like some kind of an alien. 
And so I got really close to the mirror and I remember looking at myself and thinking like, and I asked myself, what will it take to stop? And I, I remember looking at my eyes and in that moment I knew that I would never stop drinking until I died. That was the truth for me. And that made me um, willing to do something different. So that morning, the next morning I called a doctor and I wanted, I was Googling how to stop drinking. And so I called this doctor and I asked him for this pill that I had seen online that was supposed to help with the cravings. Cause I knew that once I drank, I couldn't stop drinking. I had that phenomenon of craving, you know, and I knew that much. So I went to this doctor and thank God he had experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, I don't believe in this pill. I believe in you. And why don't you let me have a friend take you to a meeting? And if it doesn't work, you can come back and get this pill. And so I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I guess I was ready to hear the message, you know, um, the speaker talked about, he talked about things that maybe I heard at other meetings, but I, I, it didn't register until I heard him talking about it. He talked about that paranoia that we have, you know, worrying about what other people think about us. And I had always felt that way. Like I always felt like I was the mind reader, you know, that like I knew what you were thinking about me by just looking at your face and your facial expressions. And it was never anything good. It was always something terrible. And he talked about that, about feeling that way. And then he also talked about having something he called a uh, pre-traumatic stress disorder. And he's like, I know people that have post-traumatic stress disorder, but I think I have pre-traumatic stress disorder. And that's all the persistent unwanted thoughts about all the terrible things that might happen to me. And I was like, I have that, oh my gosh. And that was enough to just hook me and get me to come back to another meeting. And I met my, my beautiful sponsor, Sia, and I, I jumped in and I started, you know, I, I got involved with a really active home group. My sobriety date is March 16th, 2009. So I have 11 years, six months, and a couple of days sober. And for that, I'm so grateful. And I know that I would not be sober today without having the anchor of a sobriety date that's important to me. That's one of the most important things in my life. I have a sponsor that I am current with, and I have a home group. And those three things anchor me to my sobriety and to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I, I dove in. I did the steps with my sponsor. I shared things with her that... I never thought I would share with another human being that I thought I would take to the grave. And slowly but surely, I started to, um, to feel like a human being again, because I had felt like I was living like an animal. And I'm not sure how long I'm supposed to go. So can somebody like give me a thumbs up when I stop? But you know, I felt like I was living like an animal. And I, when I got here, I couldn't even look people in the eye. And, uh, and I was afraid of people. And slowly, I started to kind of just... Um, open up, you know, I started to listen at the meetings. I had the desire to drink for three years. And I the not the desire, I had the obsession to drink for three years. And it was on a daily basis. A lot of days I felt like every cell in my body was screaming for alcohol. And uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to stay sober. But I went to a lot of meetings. I went to a meeting every day on the weekends, I would go like two or three times a day on Saturday and Sunday. I would share, my sponsor asked me to share at the meeting. So I would share and I would cry and I would tell people I wanted to drink. I got commitments in all of my meetings. And I have to say for the newcomers, if you're able to get a commitment at a Zoom meeting or at if you're living in a sober living like where you are, it's important to do that, to have something to do at the meeting that you go to regularly. Because for me, a lot of times I wanted to drink. And uh, I was actually driving to the liquor store and I would think about my commitment and I'm like, oh, if I don't do the commitment, nobody's going to have like their like, uh, cookies or whatever. And so I would like go and I'm like, think to myself, I'm just going to go do my commitment and then I'll drink afterwards. You know, that was my plan. And so I never had to drink, you know, I would get to the meeting, I would hear what I needed to hear and I never had to drink. And Alcoholics Anonymous has um, 
has carried me through so many things and I think it's time to wrap up. But I just want to say that, you know, one of the best gifts that Alcoholics Anonymous gave to me was being able to be a sober daughter for my dad when he was diagnosed with lung cancer and passed away. I got to be there for him. I got to hold his hand when he passed and he didn't have to worry about me. He didn't have to worry about his daughter. And I know he was terrified about getting that phone call, you know, and um, I wouldn't have been able to show up for him and be there for him if I had been drinking. I would have wanted to. I know I would have wanted to, but I wouldn't have. I would have been off somewhere. So I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful to be here with all of you tonight. Thank you so much.